Well, we're continuing this series. Um, there's this week and next week is, is technically what we have left, where we are looking and examining um, what is work and worship? Where is the connection between those two things? And, and this week, we're going to think about the formation in our lives that happens from worship and the formation that happens in our life from our vocation. And I, I probably don't really even need to say that every experience that we have in life forms us into who we are, right? It, it starts from the time that we are small children, like we saw the children up here, uh, the children that you, you usher off on the bus, or the children that you drop off at school, the children that you maybe drop off in the nursery, or the children that are, are learning so many different things wide-eyed open. But formation doesn't just happen in those first 18 years of life. It doesn't just happen in the the college time period either, uh, which comes at different points for a lot of different people, I guess. It comes throughout life. Formation happens when we step into our car and we turn on the radio and we drive to wherever we're going, formed by the the words and the songs and the, the the things that are happening on that radio. Formation happens when we're we're cleaning our house and decide to to put on some peppy music to get us interested in it. Formation happens when we sit down on the couch and reach for that newspaper or take out our phone and look at whatever news organization we want to to see what's happening in the world. Formation happens when you're tired and you decide to sit down and binge watch that latest Netflix or Hulu series, beginning to end. Maybe that doesn't happen to anyone. Formation happening as we reach for a magazine, as we're waiting in the doctor's office. Formation. It happens all the time. Causes us to, to value certain things, to prioritize certain things in our life. It, it causes us to, to change the way that we spend our time. It causes us to change the way that we spend our money. But formation, it's, it's not limited to these sources of entertainment, most of which were, were listed just now. Formation includes the vocation, what you find yourself doing most of the day, whether that's in retirement or whether that's in school or whether that's at home with the kids or whether that is also out at a job. Formation happens when we, when we gather here today. One of the things that uh, one of the professors that I had at seminary would say is formation, uh, that worship is formative in two ways. It's, it's, it's formative because it expresses what we believe. It's expressive, but it also comes and shapes what we know and what we believe about God. But sometimes our formation can go astray or awry a little bit. If we're perhaps continually put in a position in our work to solve problems that people have created, then maybe the next step is to be formed to believe that people are problems. Maybe if we come to worship and and all we hear is a, a message about works and how we need to do more, 
perhaps then our understanding of grace will suffer. Where we feel like we're saved by what we do rather than saved by the grace that God offers. If we only focus on how transcendent and glorious and amazing and powerful God is, maybe we'll, we'll minimize and be formed in a way where we won't recognize how intimate and close in how Jesus himself came as a person to be close to his people. You can see, if we emphasize any particular thing in our formation, sometimes our beliefs perhaps suffer. The way that we are formed happens to suffer. We can, we can go into, and we will, into the Old Testament prophets. We're going to go into two of them a little bit today to, to consider what it was like for the Israelites if they experienced some issues with their formation and the way that they lived out and were taught about their faith, the way they, they uh, lived out their love of God. And the prophets, if you're not familiar with them, they're not really actually well-liked people. There's a lot of books in the Bible that are prophet, prophetical books about the, the message that these prophets gave. But typically, these prophets were not well-liked people and these messages were not very nice, you could go to say. Uh, so we're going to actually head uh, to the book of uh, Isaiah. Uh, for any kids who are remaining with us, it'll be on page 821 in your Bibles. If you grab a black Bible, it'll be on page 554. See, these prophets, they, they were, were working on giving warnings about what was going wrong in their work, what was going wrong in their vocation, and, and what was going wrong in their worship. And so we hear this short verse. It's just verse uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 8. And it says this, Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands to what their fingers have made. Idols. Idols are not maybe something that connects with us on the same level that perhaps they did for the Israelites. When modern day 21st century people think about idolatry, often they wonder, well, how could, they, how could anyone do that? I don't have little figurines at home that I worship. Right? It, but... But that might not be the case, right? We're not talking about maybe just the golden calf, which we, we would have heard about in the Old Testament that the Israelites created while Moses was up on the mountain. You know, we're, we're not only talking about perhaps um, Baal, who was worshipped by the Israelites as well. In reality, when we think about idol worship here, worshipping the things that their hands have made, Israel, uh, Isaiah is talking about, we're thinking about a connection point between where people would worship and people would work. It's a connecting point. I idolatry was not something that, this, that was so separated out. But if we separate it out as just these little figures, it's perhaps too simplistic. I want to invite you, like many children we ask to, uh, to do, to, to put on your imagination cap. Like, legitimately, put it on if you need to. 
you're going to imagine that you are an Israelite farmer, an ancient farmer in, in the Middle East, and, and you're tasked to produce crops from a land. And, and so you look out upon your field and, and you see this kind of dry patch. You know it receives rain sometimes, but it doesn't seem that the rain comes always too regularly. And as you, you think about this land that, that you've been tasked to produce food for, for, for your family, you also remember, well, okay, the Lord said too that I'm supposed to give the portion, the first portion of food that comes from this land back to God. And then I can, then I can use the rest. Well, no, I can't use the rest for myself because I'm supposed to leave the four corners of the field for the people who are strangers, the, the people who are immigrants in the land and, and who those who are passing through, those who are maybe needy. And as you, you think about this dry patch of land that you need to tend to, that you have to sow and that you have to, to harvest, and you realize that the rain that falls is really important. And, and you know that because there's not these modern-day irrigation systems. There's not drainage systems as well that regulate how much water that these, these lands get. So as you, you tend to this dry patch of land that hasn't been receiving rain for a while, you may think, well, there's a God of wind and rain. What would it hurt if I prayed and worshipped to this God of, of wind and rain? If I prayed and, and worshipped this God of wind and rain, maybe, maybe then instead of seeing this dry patch, I would see these green shoots coming up off the ground and I would see all of this growth that, well, I would be able to offer more things to Yahweh. And I would be able to offer better crops to those who are in need. And all I have to do is is worship this God of, of wind and rain, which is, well, everybody's doing it. Everyone is worshiping this God of wind and rain. And so you, like many other Israelites, begin to worship the God Baal, the God of the wind and the God of the rain, desiring to see the fruit come forth that you pray for, desiring to see that rain come down and that growth come out of the ground. And so they turn to idol worship. Maybe you can see how idol worship is not this segregated part of their life, but it acted intimately with their everyday work. It was something that was wildly accepted, and it was something that caused corrupt offerings to come into worship. Offerings that were growing because of, or maybe not because of, but while someone was praying to a different God, taking these things that they were praying to Baal that they would grow and then offering them to Yahweh. I wonder, I wonder what that idolatry looks like. In reality, what 
what the people of Israel were trying to do is to take the best that God had to offer and to take the best that the world had to offer and, and to combine them into something else. Where is it if we think about idolatry that way? When we're trying to take the best that God has to offer and the best that American individualism maybe has to offer or, or the best that our society or culture has to offer and to combine them and to put them into one thing. I wonder what that looks like in our life. What are the, the areas in our life that we find this type of idolatry? When thinking about it, taking the best of God and the best of the world, it sounds a lot closer than when you think about talking about figurines that you worship. Do we too perhaps put too much an emphasis on the work of our hands, worshiping the work of our hands, worshiping perhaps the, the technology, the, the, um, the wealth, maybe the, the things that we have created? Do we take maybe too much time thinking about that financial security and that we need to develop thy financial security, something that's looked at as wildly acceptable in the culture, storing up for ourselves for later years. I'm not saying that's a necessarily fully a bad thing, but where does that tension of storing up and trusting in God for provision combine? Where is that a place where our storing up has turned into something that would be selfish or greedy rather than honoring? Where are those areas in our life where we try to take the best of here and, and merge it with God? I, I, I wonder as we, we go through this series, you know, where is it where we have emphasized some things that we value in culture, like our vacations. I think about that myself. I have a camper. Is that part of culture? Is that something that is standing in the way of my worship to God? We could, we could think, too, what about other things that cause us to to leave the worship communities that we have and go into another area, does that too cause us to try to take the best that the world has to offer and merge it with our faith? I don't know. At what point does our desire for the best that the world has to offer become an idol that causes us to not be able to worship God the way he desires. As we, we think about this tension, we, we, we need to think about how idolatry or these things that we do throughout the week affect the way we worship. And so we're going to head to Amos chapter 5. It'll be page 748 in those black Bibles if you're headed there. Or, uh, I don't know, is my kids the only ones that have a Bible? Cone, do you have a green Bible? If so, it's on page 1108. 
Here's what Amos says. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. This is him talking to the Lord. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard to them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Hmm. But let justice roll down like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. As Israel took the best that the world had to offer, you could say, the, the worship of Baal, in order to perhaps the intent to give God better things to provide for their family and so on, it affected the way that they were able to worship. Their, because their work became unfaithful, their worship became unfaithful. You've probably heard the term going through the motions. It's this idea that you're just doing the things that you need to do, but your heart isn't really in it. Like sometimes we see, uh, I've seen recently, kids playing soccer, maybe going through the motions. Uh, and you see the kid standing there, he's standing there, the ball is just going all around him, and he's just kind of watching, right? Going through the motions, he's just kind of there, but his heart, or her heart, really isn't in it. Well, I think that's what was beginning to happen for the Israelites in their worship. When their, when their work became unfaithful, their worship became unfaithful, and they were just going through the motions. They had their festivals, and they were doing the burnt offerings, and they were taking care of the grain offerings and, and fellowship offerings, and they were singing the songs, but but it really meant nothing based on their unfaithful work. It surely, in this passage, meant nothing to the Lord. It was something that the Lord said was disgusting. It's disgusting that you're going through these motions and just doing it. I'm not even going to accept it anymore. And we wonder, well, what was it within their work that was causing them to be unfaithful? And and it was perhaps more than just Baal worship. In Amos chapter 8, if you go a few chapters further, this is what, what Amos has to say in verse, verses 4 through 6. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon, uh, when will worship be over? that we may sell grain and that the Sabbath be ended so that we may market wheat, skipping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling eating the sweepings with the wheat. You see, in Amos' day, there were, were people who were unfaithful in their work. Boosting the price, skimping the measure. I wonder if that's why I was always taught 
to look at the price of an item and how much quantity actually came with it, right? When you, when you go to the supermarket and you go and you look at the orange juice and it says 5.9 cents per ounce versus 7.1, boosting the price, skimping the measure maybe, maybe not. But the Israelites here were, were taking advantage of people. And not only were they taking advantage of people, they were going through the motions with worship. They were really not even wanting to be there because they knew that, man, once this is done, I can go back to my job and get back to making money. I can get back to what I wanted to do and what I need to do and get this thing out of the way for the week. Perhaps they were counting every minute until that sun set on the Sabbath so they could get back to what they wanted to do. But their making of money was through unfaithful work leading to unfaithful worship. They were taking advantage of their brothers and sisters, taking advantage of their needy in their own city for their own benefit. Here the Israelites... The Israelite merchants, instead of desiring communion with God and his people, instead just desired commerce. They wanted more cheating, more dishonesty, more skimping and boosting of the price. They were looking at the bottom line themselves. Whatever was better for themselves and not better for their neighbor or others. And this place, this place, the temple, that was supposed to be this formative area where God's people would be formed to be more like him, to be formed to, to worship him, to, to trust in him, was no longer doing so. Their work and worship couldn't be more separated at this time. In reality, the unfaithful work, it destroys worship in two ways. One, unfaithful work causes us to raise filthy hands and offer dirty offerings to the Lord. If it's things that perhaps we were dishonest with, like the Israelites, or, or ways in which we have taken advantage of others, that's what it causes to do in worship. But the other thing do it does is worship ceases to nourish people. Worship ceases to do the very thing that God intended for it to do, to nourish his people for their life. I wonder, what does that look like in our lives? Where is it that our worship is unfaithful? You know, are there times are there times where we too consider the worship just as going through the motions? That it's it's kind of like that Monday morning 8 a.m. alarm clock or 6 a.m. or was it 3.30 a.m.? When that goes off, that you're like, man, I really don't want to go. 
And then it comes to Sunday, and you're like, I'm so tired. I just really don't want to go. But I know I, I have to. And so you put on your pants and put on your shirt, and you just sit there going through the motions, not sure if you really want to be there or if you're really going to engage with anything that happens, not really wondering if you're going to lift up your voice to God. As we consider the formation that happens, formation happens in the places that you spend the most time. And I know I don't spend the most of my time here, and I even work here, right? If you count, say, 50 hours that I'm here, 60, it's still not the most time. The most of my time is spent elsewhere, and it'd probably be the same for all of you. We want to be formed in worship, but in reality, we also need to be formed during our weekday life, in the ways that we live, in the ways we interact with our coworkers, in the ways that we practice ethics in our work. It's those areas, those weekday areas, that form us the most and, and have a huge effect on the formation that happens too. We'll go back to the, if, if we're continually, maybe dishonest, or if we're continually trying to get the most out of our employees and pushing them further and further and further, if we're, if we're continually looking at people as problems, that surely is going to affect the worship that we come to. The worship perhaps will become slightly dishonest. The one thing we need to know is one single worship service will never, never change us fully. Hearing one sermon on the, the connection of, of our weekday life and the formation that happens there and in the formation that happens on Sunday will not do everything to solve really anything. It's, it's a consistent energy within our life. When we think about formation, we can think about communion together, something that Jesus gave to his people to nourish. He, he gave it to strengthen and empower. He gave it so that the Spirit would you, unite us to him, not just for that particular moment, but for every moment that would be going forward, that as we go throughout our weekday life, experiencing formation, that, that the Spirit would be there right with you, calling you into aspects of righteousness in your life, in, in right living, in the right way and on the right path, so that, so that we would be formed in those ways to be more and more like Christ and less and less and less like our selfish, perhaps Israelite, and it's only through the power of Christ and Him imputing His righteousness to us and the Spirit coming within us that we can have a life where we are truly formed by Him. Where the worship on Sunday isn't just this motion we have to go through. Or that Monday morning 
that when we think about having devotions, that it's not just the motion that we go through, but that instead it's something that forms and encapsulates who we are and how God desires us to live. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, we can be formed by so many things. Probably things that that we see for a moment have an impact on us. It's our prayer through, through the Spirit that you would work within us. Calling to light those areas of formation that we need to put away. Those ways that we are being formed that we need to step aside. That you would call within us that desire to live as Christ that you would call within us to live exemplary lives of, of service, of right living, right thinking, of, of good ethics. It would be, be our prayer that your spirit would empower us to do that and give us grace when we fall short. Help us to to let all of our life to be this offering to you where our worship is worthy of you and where our work is worthy of God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.